Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio, and uh, it seems like only a month ago I said welcome to February. So now, welcome to March. It's March 1st, <laughs> 2023, and welcome to today's show. Okay, we got Howie, Howie, <laughs> Howie Knopf here. Dr. Knopf is the president of Project Achieve, a great friend of ours, been on the show many times. He's past president of the National Association of School Psychologists. He's an internationally known consultant and today we're at two school districts, and today we're going to be talking about school safety, including school shootings and all the problems that are going on, and the need for better special education services okay and and all kinds of social services that can really help stop the challenges that we are facing out there it's and how he's a good guy to talk to about that he works with school districts all over the country hoping to prevent such tragedies and problems and challenges so he'll be very insightful today as he always is here on education talk radio we're going to archive the show at ace-ed.org under that podcast link. And every podcast we do is over there, as well as our magazine, Equity and Access, which is pretty darn good. Okay. I got to tell you, we're doing great with that. And uh, we're getting a lot of nice uh, words about all the work we do, all the equity awards, et cetera, et cetera. In there, you'll see the cover. Just click on the cover. You can read the magazine. It's an online journal. We've changed the website, okay? And by the way, everything we do over there is free for educators. So please go over there and see what we do. The website is really dynamic, okay? It's just absolutely incredible. Maya did a great job of making it new, making it exciting, et cetera, et cetera. So please check out all we're doing. Everything's there. And again, it's all free for educators at ace-ed.org. And enough of me. Let's go from Maine, where I am, down to Florida, where Howie is. I assume you're in Florida today, Howie? I am. I'm in Florida today. How are you, Larry? I'm just fine after a six-inch snowfall all day yesterday, but it was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was in Michigan last week and had to bug out early because they were going to close school anyway, so I get it. you know, and I'll tell you, northern Michigan, they're still having the problem. They don't have electricity yet. It's been six days. I heard that on the yep. news yesterday. Oh, it's terrible. I feel yep. so bad for those folks. Uh, you know, they probably have generators and all. I hope a lot of them do. But it's just a terrible experience not to have electricity. So uh, I hope they're getting better and doing better and all that. I have no idea what the status of the schools is up north where that challenge is. But I I wish them well. That's all I can say. Howie, we're going to talk about school safety and all the things that go with it, and then <clears throat> relate that to the social services needs that out there. And you're an expert in that, being a uh, the again past president of the National Association of School Psychologists. So talk to me, Howie. Let's get started, okay, with the current state of school safety today, and that's everything. That's uh, student behavior, you know, uh, right up to uh, the horror of a school shooting. What's going on out there that that you see? All right. Well, I don't I don't want to minimize these numbers, but let's start with the numbers. When we're talking about school shootings, um, thus far this year, and this is as of the 15th of, uh, Feb- of February, there have been seven school shootings, uh, nine individuals killed or injured. Um, the litany from 2018, 24 school shootings. 2019, 24 school shootings. 2020, 10 school shootings, but remember that was our pandemic year. Right. 30, 35 school shootings in 2021, and last year, 2022, 
we had 51 school shootings with either injury or death, okay, with either injury or death. So that doesn't even count stray bullets and, and things like that. And again, the way of these data are from Education Week, the way they look at these data are school or school-related events. So it could be a football game or something like yeah. that. So yeah. that's pretty hey, alarming wait, 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 right I there. I want to ask you one thing. I, 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 when I think about school shootings, I tend to break it into two, two uh, divisions. Okay, one is pre-Columbine, one is post-Columbine. And I don't know if you know this. I, I can't remember. Were they, what were school shootings before Columbine, which was the first horror of all this? Do you remember or have a statistic? Well, that? you know, I mean, the first school shooting of note was, was in eastern Arkansas. And that was where two kids um, created a situation out in the playground. People came out into the playground. Uh, I think they might have pulled a fire alarm or something like that. And they shot, um, I don't remember how many kids, but it was somewhere oh between uh, th three to five kids. And that was in what 19, was that was 1997. I have no so that was, that, that wow. was when really, you know, it kind of became front page news because, you know, CNN and everyone else really publicized and they were on site for those. So we weren't collecting a lot of data beforehand. So it's hard to know how much was going on beforehand. And then, you know, with that kind of demarcation in 97, that's really where it became a national wow. issue. I mean, um, when that shooting occurred, uh, actually President Clinton uh, put together a, a national panel. Uh, I was one of the writers on that panel, and um, I wasn't a lead writer, but I mean, I, I was brought into Washington, and they had a lot of experts around the table, and we uh, wrote a document called Early Warning School Shootings or something akin to that. So that's when it became formalized, and they really started collecting these data. But again, these data don't include the children, the students, the adolescents, the paraprofessionals, the teachers who have been emotionally affected by this, oh, both directly directly and indirectly. That's right. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's just another layer of emotionality. I'm really hesitating to say trauma, but, you know, stress, anxiety, yeah. trauma, it's another layer where you've got to think and worry about it. Um, so, so the numbers oh, are kind of, yeah, the numbers are significant. Now, when you kind of go yeah, to well, the it's edges, it's called collateral damage, I think. You know, well, of course, you know, yeah, it's terrible. Now, wow. now, when you go to the next layer, not necessarily of school shootings, but school assaults, you know, significant events where teachers and others are being harmed by students and then go down to the level of discipline issues. I mean, we know that schools in the last couple of years have had an increase in disciplinary events, you know, either events where students have to go to the office for uh, significant inappropriate behavior, in, including dangerous behavior, and school suspensions. That seems to be edging down right now. Um, and I don't want to put it all on the pandemic, but it, I mean, you have to look at every case individually. But you know, with with the discipline issues, the safety issues, and then just kids having to deal with the stresses in their lives, 
you know, school is not necessarily the most fun place to be right now. I mean, let's just talk about the here and now, uh, you know, although it certainly has been accelerating. Wow. Howie, it's, 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 it's really scary in your point about collateral damage. I mean, uh, you know, it is like post-traumatic syndrome. You don't forget this stuff. Okay, the news, no. the news people leave, leave. They, they go on. They have to. That's the nature of the beast. But uh, you don't forget about that. So what is this? Do schools recognize this, and how do they handle this type of thing? Okay, and you deal with this all the time. I mean, you're constantly training schools and, and principals, superintendents, on how to help their staff get through this. And I'm going to say something right off the bat, because everybody knows it's a concern of mine. All of this is, is part of the challenge of teacher retention and teacher recruitment. If we don't right. get this right, we're going to run out of teachers. Okay, it's that simple. People will retire as soon as they can. Who needs this aggravation? Okay, and, you know, it takes the joy out of teaching when you have to deal with this. And people look at the headlines and say, I don't want to be a teacher. I, I, you know, I, I don't get paid that much to have all this aggravation. All right, so right. Think, right. Howie, you're, you're good at this. I mean, this is what you do. I mean, you go into school districts, uh, seriously, at, at Project Achieve, and, and, and help school districts get through this. And more importantly, you help them, I want to get into that, help them recognize the problem before it happens. Okay? Right. And the, the, right. the way we do that is by, and you're going to let you talk about this, but the way we, we do that is by recognizing the kids have needs and, and have the social services ready for them as we see that and how we just go with that okay where are we on all this all right so let's let's kind of cascade down Unpacking. and and, yeah. and not to make it overly simplistic you've got the hard approach to safety and you've got the soft approach to safety and and i'm not talking about this from a quality perspective but the hard approach is is basically in a sense to quote barricade our schools and, and that's where, you know, having police presence, having, um, you know, um, the kids walk through uh, detectors, um, having people on campus, um, adults on campus who have guns. And, and let me talk about this. And, and I'm not talking mm -hmm. about this in, in an evaluative way, but one of the school districts where I work regularly there is a sign on the door, and this is legitimate. I was there during the teacher training days before the school year started. But there are a number of staff members who are legally armed, okay? Mm. And th yeah. there's a sign yeah. on the door. When you walk into the school, there's a sign on the door. You need to, and basically says, you need to know that we have armed faculty um, who um, are on site. Um, but basically it says, we're not going to tell you. And, and in fact, the staff don't know specifically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the staff don't know what adults hmm. are armed. Okay, but and, and I'm bringing that up. I'm not saying that, that that's a bad thing at all. Okay, I'm not endorsing that either. Okay, but at the same time, I want that to be representative to your listeners as the state of affairs in some school districts. Howie, okay. can you name the that state that is in? Can you name the state? No, I really want to hesitate on that. Okay, um, that's no problem. Okay. And let me bring up something else that happened just last week, okay? In, in a, a district I'm not familiar with, I believe it's called Rising Sun. This was in the New York Times, okay? Rising Sun ISD in Texas, which is near Abilene, okay? The principal, and I believe the vice principal as well, are legally armed, 
okay? And, of course, right. they, they, they right. were so scared and upset about what happened in Uvalde and other stories that they uh, – you know, that they, they were given permission to carry guns. And let's let's face it, you know, Texas, is, you know, loves their guns. So I'll give them that, okay? Right. And so, but what happened, I don't know if you saw the story, Howie, the the principal who was armed, or excuse me, the superintendent, actually went to the men's room. In, uh, the yeah, kids I, saw, men's I room did see and that. And yes. left his gun there. And a kid yep. found the gun, okay, and thank yep. God returned it safely. And the superintendent, right. I don't know what happened afterwards, but the superintendent voluntarily resigned after such a horrible uh, accident. Right. Okay. Right. And again, I'm not condemning well, and, them. Okay. I'm not condemning yeah, them. And, I didn't want to and, take that and, position. And again, yeah. but boy, yeah, the state I'm wow. the state I'm thinking and talking about actually is not Texas. But okay. but here's the critical the critical point for right now. I'm not saying don't do these things. But we also yeah, know from any number of reports, including, you know, reports by the Secret Service, and they've had a series of reports about school shootings, that may be a preventative, but it's not an absolute preventative. Because what happens if the person who is armed is off campus? What happens when students are letting other students, as they do, in the back door of the high school, and the student doesn't go through the um, the detector. Right. I mean, if you remember in, in Parkland, Florida, at Stoneman Doug, Douglas, right. you know, Nicholas Cruz walked onto campus, okay? Um, he was able to evade. He knew the campus because he had gone there, and he knew how to get onto campus without being detected. All right, so the, the point is we can't just look at the hard approaches um, the most, if you will, extreme approaches to lock our schools down as being the ones that are going to completely prevent because we know they haven't. So let's go to the soft side, if you will. The soft side is about the people. It's about doing, and, and again, I'm going to kind of separate it out. At the, on the very front end, it's about teaching kids the social, emotional, behavioral skills that they need to be able to get along with each other, to decrease bullying, yeah. to resolve issues, to be able to handle emotional distress and all of that. And that's got to be a preschool through high school initiative. And, and it can't just be lip service. It can't be just, well, when we have a chance, we'll do it. We've got to teach, and we've, you and I have talked about this in a number of programs. We've got to teach the kids behaviorally literally the interpersonal social problem solving conflict prevention and resolution and emotional awareness control communication and coping skills so that's the front end and and that's not going to be the complete panacea either so the second part of that is we've got to be able to identify the early warning mm -hmm. signals yeah. and identify the kids who are still struggling who may need more intensive social skills, but probably also need additional um, social emotional supports and mental health services. And we're not doing a good job of that especially. Um, we're not doing a good job of the social skills training across the country, yeah, but yeah. we're certainly not doing where we know kids are in distress, where we know kids are coming to school and they are volatile we're not doing a good job of getting the services, supports, and interventions, including the community mental health services, to those students. Two points. Back to Nicholas Cruz, okay? 
Nicholas Cruz was identified and was in a program for, at one point in his school career for emotionally and behaviorally disabled students. Mm-hmm. He had two count. He had two counselors and a school resource officer that, and this was in Florida, wanted to Baker Act him. And Baker Act is basically, yeah. in essence, an involuntary um, stay at a mental health facility That's to right. get services. So, and I'm not blaming anyone, and and I don't. I'm not trying to alarm people either. But at the same time. Here was a student where we had early warning, as we've had, police have had early warning about any number of some of the mass shootings that have occurred. Okay, so it's not a total preventative, but that doesn't mean that we cannot do better in terms of the mental health services that we're delivering in our schools and broadly to children and adolescents in the community. How we... How far behind are we on this? We aren't doing this. My question, the simpler one is why? Why is, we know what's going on and it's been building. I I have to say, I'll just say since Columbine, that Arkansas incident. Okay. It's been building. Okay. And the the question is why we, 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 we've shoved it under the rug, you know, and you, I know you agree. Maybe you'll agree if the schools have changed. It used to be all about ABCs, but now we also have SEL. Okay, there's a lot yep. of challenges out there. Okay, and what? what I guess this, why the, what the hell are we waiting for? What's going on? Well, has educator training as well as administrator training, okay, really, and school board training, I might add, you know, in some way, really focused on this and the need to communicate to their community, okay, that this is where dollars need to be put. This is an emergency situation. What, what's going on out there, Howie? Why is it taking so long? We talk about this well, all the time. You, you, just hit, you just hit the three primary reasons from my perspective. It's Please. about training, training, priorities, and money. The training, <laughs> we're not doing a good job of this in terms of pre-service training. And I know it's always easy, you know, blame the universities. You know, I I was at two research one universities for 20 plus years of my professional life. And it's easy to to say, but there are competing issues in terms of the training, but we've got to wedge this stuff in. You can't just talk about the instruction and the curriculum and the academics. You've got to talk about the social, emotional, and behavioral. And again, we've got to do it in depth. We've got to do it with our general ed, special ed, related services, our administrators. But we've also got to complement that with the post-service training. So when people are in the field, we've, we've got to continue to do that training. But it's not just the training in terms of the in-service. It's the training, the application, and the infusion. And so it's got, to, it's got to become real life. It's got to become an in, inherent part of what we do in the classroom and broader in the school. And again, if there's anything that's happened over the last number of years in my professional career, the last, let's just say, 20 years, we have less and less time. And honestly, we have less and less tolerance, I'm finding sometimes with the staff, for mm. professional development. We've taken the professional development days off of the table, 
And again, sometimes the staff, they're just not terribly engaged in what is happening with the professional development as they should be. All right, the second area is the priority. And, and again, you know, we've got to balance the academic and the behavior. But I mean, two of the questions that I always ask my staff, do you have students in your classroom today who are behaviorally acting out because of academic frustration? And they say yes. And then I say, do you have students in your classroom today who are academically not making it because of social, emotional, and behavioral issues? And they say yes. Of course. Well, that's the interdependence of it. And so we've got to raise up the social emotional. I'm not going to say it needs to be on the same level in terms of intensity and time, but we've got to raise that up to a functional level, but we've got to wrap around it with the counselors and the school psychologists and the clinical social workers. We've got to bring this up to a priority level. And again, we're talking about helping kids to be successful in life. You know, the byproduct is hopefully impacting and decreasing as much as we can how it re this all relates to school shootings. But, you know, we've got to, do, we've got to have the complementary nature of this. And then the money. Yeah. Not, we're, not, we're not getting this, and I don't want to put this all in special ed, all right, but, but let's talk about special ed. We know that Congress has never fully funded the IDEA law, the Individual right. Disabilities for Education Act. That's they right. were supposed to fund it at a 40%. The closest they've ever been is somewhere maybe around 20%. Yeah. Now, yes, there are 13 different disability categories. Right? But one of them, obviously, is students with emotional and behavioral disabilities. But there are other students with learning disabilities um, who are, you know, have other disability areas that also have emotional overlays. So you can't just look at the individual education plan and say, ah, it's a learning disabled student. We know that 65% of the kids who are identified as special needs kids in the country are learning disabled. They don't have any emotional issues. Well, that's rubbish. Okay, so the issue again is we've got to identify the early warning signals. We've got to identify the students legitimately who need the services, many of them again in this area in special education. And we've got to have the funding complemented by the community mental health funding to get it all done. We don't have the funding that we need and we also, again, don't necessarily have all the personnel that we need and the personnel with the skills. And, you, you know, you said something before that struck me. I wrote it down, and, and I agree with this, but this struck me. You said that you're seeing that educators are, uh, in many cases, are unengaged in professional development. They're unengaged, okay? Yeah. And, you know, we've laid, we've laid all this. this. This is the challenge I see. We've laid all this on professional development, and professional development, which, which I think is important, usually occurs at the end of a busy day. People are tired. Let's face it. People right. are tired. Okay? Okay? It's hard to stay focused when you've got all these other things on your plate. And I honestly believe, and you, you used the phrase before, we try to wedge in into a uh, teaching somebody to become a teacher. Okay, we try to wedge in these aspects of their job, but they, they, this can't be a wedge in thing. 
I'll say again, the schools are changing. The whole process of education is changing. All right, we can't wedge right. things in and and lay it on PD. It's it, it, the, the the reason that a lot of teachers are are unengaged in PDs because this was never really part of their training. Okay, a lot of right. teachers, probably ninety nine percent, had never had a course in SEL. And all of a sudden, especially post-pandemic, post-Columbine, this stuff has been laid on them, okay? Right. At the end of a busy day when they're supposed to do anything else. And, again, so, Howie, let me ask you this, and you are good at this, okay? You go into a school district, okay, and you do professional development, okay? How do you engage people? How do you get them to understand how important this is, okay? What do you do? Howie, you're good at this. All right. Well, and, and again, I'm not going to tell you that I'm any more successful than any of any of my colleagues. And, and I come up against the same barriers that everyone does. But but here's how to do it. Here's the blueprint. <clears throat> there are three elements to professional development. There's the knowledge, the content, okay, the information, okay. That sometimes or many times you can do in an in-service, in a presentation, okay. But that's got to be tag-teamed to application, okay? You, you've got to go from the knowledge into the skills and the application. In other words, it's got to be translated. You've got to be able to behaviorally see the impact of the information, let's just say, in the classroom or with the counselor, the psychologist, and so on. So you've got to shift it. You've got to do things in professional development to move it to skill and application. Right. And then hopefully you end up where you've got confidence and, 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 and good quality uh, implementation infusion. So, for example, I'll talk about, you know, social skills, all right? So, you know, I've got the Stop and Think Social Skills program that I've published. It's been, you know, it's one of the top programs in the country. But when I'm training a school, I certainly do the in-service, okay, but as part of the in-service, people are watching the, they're watching video clips. You know, I've got an online course in social skills. There are do. video clips, actual social skill lessons that I or colleagues have done that are part of the course from kindergarten through sixth grade, all with different social skills. So it's not just about me telling what people to do, to do, but I'm showing them how do you teach a social skill lesson? How do you integrate it into application activities? How do you move it into infusion, all right? So they're seeing it. Then what do I do? Well, then I come on site and I do model demonstrations. I do live demonstrations in classrooms. I was, uh, was in one of my sites last week uh, in Michigan, and I did two sixth grade social skill demonstration lessons. And one of the sixth grade was a, an inclusion class that had a number of kids yeah. on the spectrum and so on and so forth. But the teachers are watching me do this live and then we're sitting down and debriefing it. And they're all looking at, in essence, the template that identifies here are the characteristics of an effective lesson. In one of the elementary schools last week, I went in and I observed three elementary school teachers doing a social skill lesson and I gave them feedback. 
their building principles as part of their annual four classroom observations, the building principles are observing at least one social skill lesson. And again, the point is, mm. is we're moving in a conscious and methodical way. We're moving the information into practice. We're, in essence, not to be heavy-handed, we're holding the teachers accountable for effective instruction. And then over time, they've done it to the point where they can basically do social skills on the fly at the drop of a hat. They could walk into a classroom, I could tell them a social skill to do, and they could do it with virtually no preparation. So again, yes. knowledge to skill, skill to confidence and competence. It's so, it's so important. By the way, it's projectachieve.info is where all of Howie's information is, projectachieve.info. Howie, i got to ask you, when you when you went you work with those teachers, all right, and they were elementary school teachers, bless their hearts. Okay, what what was the, as you when when what was their feedback to you when all was said and done? Well, sometimes it's a leap of faith, all right. But when I'm talking about social skills, let me give you. I mean, here's some of the the list of skills. We're training kids in how to listen how to follow directions, <laughs> how, to ask, yep. how to ask for help, how to ignore distractions, how to respond to teasing, how to deal with losing, how to accept consequences. I can go on and on and on. How to set a goal, how to get into a group and agree, disagree, and agree to disagree. We're teaching them behavioral, observable, critical, useful skills. And so once Agreed. the teachers realize that it works, okay, and not every social skill program works, okay, there are hundreds of them out there, okay. and the vast majority of them have not been scientifically vetted, okay. My program was identified as an evidence-based program by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. So it's got the good housekeeping seal of it approval. But the bottom line is, is getting back to your question, if it, if it didn't work, the teachers would throw me out in my ear. Well, that's actually, that's actually maybe my question. They didn't throw you out on your ear, or did they? Exactly. They didn't. That's what they I'm didn't saying. Know. Because so it my, works, and then exactly. they bring it home, and it works with their kids at home. Exactly. Exactly. And this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. We have to start really moving this into every classroom. It's, and by the way, it's not just elementary. It's every – and, you know, like I said before, blessed elementary school teachers, they're Jacks and Jills of all trades. Okay, they teach everything. Okay, and I think they're wonderful. You get into secondary where a teacher is more subject-oriented, if I may. Right. As, as opposed to holistic child-type oriented, although they certainly care about the kids. Is it harder to do this in secondary? No, it, it's not. It's, it's really, it's more about organization and logistics in terms of, you know, if you've got, you know, kids with a seven-period day, which teachers are going to take the lead, which teachers are going to reinforce and, and infuse. So, no, we're doing this at the middle and the high school level all over the country. Um, and, and, again, you know, a lot of times, like in eighth be. grade, the teachers get nervous. They say, well, the kids are not going to buy into it. Okay, I just did a couple yeah. of weeks ago, I did an eighth grade social skill lesson. In fact, I did it on Monday morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, on their first day back from vacation. Wow. Okay. And, and the deal is, 
if you are confident, if you are engaging, if the kids realize that they're going to be held accountable for it, if you can make it fun, then it works. But, but here's one of the critical points that I always ask the teachers. If a kid, an eighth grade class of kids, walked into your eighth grade math class and said, we don't want to do math this year. It's boring. It's not useful. It doesn't relate to our lives. Would the math teacher agree with the kids and say, you're right, we're not going to do math this year. I don't, I don't want to do something that you're not interested in. Okay. Of course yeah, not. The teacher would never do that. Okay. But the, the parallel is this. If a group of kids come in to a social skill period and they say, well, we don't like the social skills, it's not relevant, and so on and so forth. Well, sometimes what happens is because the teachers are not confident in their ability to engage the kids with that, quote, curriculum, Which, they say, exactly. yeah, you're right, we're not going to do the social you skills. It. You nailed it. Okay. Exactly what I said before, jumping on your words, we can't wedge this stuff in to teacher exactly. training anymore. Okay, this right. has to be part and parcel of a teacher's training. And until we yeah, get that right, yeah. we're, not, we're, we're always fighting an uphill battle. Okay, yeah, and so are teachers. It's, there's, okay? there's no opt-out here. There's no oh, opt-out. We've got, we've got to do this. So you're right, yeah, you're right Larry. No, you're right, Howie. I mean, it, 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 and it, you, you, we go back to the statistics you quoted at the beginning of the show. Okay, look at what's going on. Every teacher intrinsically understands that. They may not have the numbers in their pocket, but they understand it. Okay, what's going on out there? We have to do something. Okay, we have to make sure that kids, that every teacher understands, oh, this kid may have a problem, and we have the social services to back that up. And until we right. do, okay, and we understand that, and every teacher is trained in it, we're going to be fighting the same uphill battle. How right. it's amazing. And, 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 I, and I hope... Yeah, go ahead, please. Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know, um, and, and, and the last point is, is what we're talking about here, what we're advocating, what we're imploring, is it going to completely eliminate the school shootings? Obviously not. No. No. But let's remember, we have great educational systems in this country, but kids still drop out, they still get Fs on the report card, and they still don't maximize their God-given potential. Okay, but we don't stop good quality education because we unfortunately don't have all the success that we want. Right, right. Okay? We've got to do the right things that make the most sense that prepare our kids, not just academically, but on a social, emotional, and behavioral level also. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's that simple. And uh, how he's got some great stuff. I want to push it again. Projectachieve.info. Projectachieve.info. And just go over there and poke around and you'll see all the good stuff how he does. And he works with school districts all over the country. That's why I get a great view because you go to Michigan, Washington, Texas, wherever, Florida, Arkansas, whatever. Okay. And you know, you do such a good job at it, Howie. Thank you for being here today. Your insights are always incredibly valuable. Warm weather, Howie, down in uh, Florida. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Larry. <laughs> I'm looking at the snow, Howie. I want you to know Howie's originally from up north here. I'm looking at the snow, Howie. Okay? So, well, I'll, I'll, live, I'll live vicariously through you. <laughs> you take <laughs> care, my friend. All right. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Take care. <laughs> yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs> That's Howie Knopf, my good buddy. Okay, Dr. Knopf. It's projectachieve.info. He's good at what he does. 
Okay, that's all I can say. He's good at what he does. So check it out. He has a blog all the time and all that sort of stuff. Uh, we love having, having Howie here. We're going to archive the show at ace-ed.org and go over there and see all the stuff we're doing about equity and SEL and teacher retention and all kinds of subjects that are so important to every educator out there, ace-ed.org. I'm Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. Hey, thank you for listening.